You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with Dave Truss and my guest, Kathleen McCloskey. Hello, Kathleen. Well, hi, David. How are you? I'm fantastic, and it has been so wonderful. We've known each other for years, but we actually got to meet face-to-face, I think, just three days ago. <laughs> right. And uh, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so... Um... I'm Kathleen, and I've been in the field of educational technology for over 33 years, and um, and my passion is about really leveling the playing field with uh, children, so that every children has an opportunity to to seek their passions and realize their hopes and dreams. So um, that's my purpose in life at this point. So um, that's really what you really need to know about me. And you've written a wonderful book and have another one coming out. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about yeah. that. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm co-author of Make Learning Personal uh, that's been published since October 2014. And we have a second book coming out, How to Personalize Learning, a getting started guide, um, a guide for getting started and going deeper. So that, yeah. that's how long I've been around with that book. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's coming out in October. It's pretty exciting, and I uh, want everyone to really get a copy soon. So, and I was absolutely honored to be put uh, into the first book with the Inquiry Hub, and uh, appreciated yours and Barbara Ray's support through our time with this, this new school. And I've been lucky enough to preview your next book, and I think it's fantastic. And it's one of those ones that I think if you're a new teacher, you can just really take some prescriptive lessons in there, and the rubrics are just so powerful. If you've been a seasoned teacher, you can tweak those and make it your own in a really special way. And there's something there for even the, the most seasoned teacher where you can just look and say, wow, you know, here's something I haven't thought of in a while, and here's how I can really... Um, put something that sh- I should have been putting into practice into practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Super. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and uh, we'll have fun with this. Okay. What's a great, what's an aha moment that you had as a teacher that you'll never forget? Hmm. An aha moment. Well, I'll tell you is that um, the aha moments I had were the wow moments uh, that I call them. And uh, when kids are completely and totally engaged in their learning uh, for weeks on end. Those are the aha moments. Mm-hmm. And I'm really referring something way back on uh, 1989 when I did this great lesson around animating with logo. And just remember, all I had was an Apple IIe. Well, every kid, by the way, had a wow moment over that project. Uh, they worked on it six weeks, day and night, every class. Uh, they couldn't get enough. They couldn't stop learning, and they learned so much from each other. That was truly the wow moment in my career, 1989. But that happened over and over every semester with kids, and uh, I get to experience that time after time. And it was they said, "Wow, look what I did! How great is this?" You know. So those are the wow moments as an educator. I, you know what I love? I, I love the people I plan to interview and have these conversations with are people that have been doing these things for so many years and coding is such a buzzword right now and you know you had students coding in right. 1989 right right, right. so when you put that right. into perspective people look at coding and go here's the new thing you know <laughs> it's like 1989 she had students coding every so child every, every child, child yes right. and how old were they uh, 13 and 14 years old yeah <laughs> Not even quite right. high school yet. Right. So there That's you go. right. That's fantastic. But, yeah. Yeah. 
Sure. Super. What's one thing that you need to that you think needs to stop happening in education? Well, I think what one thing that needs to stop um, in in schools or in education in general is that we need to take the focus off the test and turn it back to the learner. Um, we really are doing a real disservice to our children uh, when we're focusing on teaching to the test and. Uh, children are all individuals with very specific needs, and uh, we need to provide a complete focus on the learner and who they are and what they want to be, and then we need to do everything we can to have them succeed in life, uh, whatever that takes. So I know that's a big order, but uh, it, just think if we were able to push aside all those hours and days that we do all this testing and build relationships with children instead, how that would go so much further in their lives overall. Excellent. And so then what's one thing that you think we're getting right in education now? One of the things that I think we're getting right in education is that uh, I'm really seeing actually, you know, even just even in the last year, this real movement towards personalized learning that, you know, that we've been working on for quite a while and that there is far more interest in what it is and how we can really support the learner uh, in the process. So while we're seeing um, large school districts, very large school districts really move in this particular direction in the United States, that's an important move uh, to make this a real reality. And, um, and we just need to, of course, uh, personalized learning, of course, is something that's very confusing for lots of people, but... Uh, and I'm saying that, could you define personalized learning? <laughs> <laughs> well, personalized learning, first of all, always starts with the learner and getting to know who they are, uh, their strengths, their challenges, their preferences and needs, but most important, the learner truly needs to understand who they are as a learner so they can become more proactive and, and advocate for themselves in their learning. Because mm -hmm. so, that's a lifelong skill and that's what, we're seeing more of this thinking going forward where they're not seeing personalized learning as how to use technology to, to really do that as far as uh, sort of adaptive learning systems, we're seeing less of that and the importance to that and more towards the focus around the learner and how they can support them. So, I'm just interested in, in going a little deeper on that because okay, okay. When, you, when you talk about personalizing learning and how much of it is around the, the student's choice because there's, there seems to be, a, a, you know, I've been challenged recently about um, some of the things that we do is, is that student choice or is that personalizing the learning and how would you separate those two? Well, well um, personalized learning is about giving voice and choice to the learner. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the thing is, is what several years ago we developed what's called the stages of personalized learning uh, environments. And the very important thing is to really uh, have a, a learning environment where kids do have voice and choice in their learning on, in a consistent way uh, so that it becomes part of the culture in that classroom uh, in every lesson. So... Um, Personalized learning does include voice and choice, along with uh, really helping kids to develop learner agency. And I guess that's where I'm, I'm, I'm being a little challenging, because when you talk about learner agency, you know, I can give an assignment to someone and then have them have choice on how they assess it, or I can have them decide how they're going to represent their learning. And, you know, to me, the, the second is more personalized, where the, the first is more, you're giving them choice, but it's not truly personalized. 
Um, well, the thing is, is once uh, you know, once kids actually uh, in a, say in a stage two um, type of environment where it's more learner centered, kids are actually designing the lessons. They're actually designing the rubrics, uh, and they're setting up uh, peer assessments. They're the ones that are putting those pieces together, and uh, you're not necessarily doing that as a teacher. And you call that stage two, so and that's stage two. So you want to go through the stages? Yeah. Then? So the last, okay. So <laughs> yes. stage. So let's go back. So yeah. stage one um, is still teacher centered, but giving voice and choice. This is where the teachers understand who the learner is. Uh, at this point, the learner is also understanding who they are as a learner. Right? Uh, in the stage two, that's where it's learner centered, and that's where kids are co-designing with the teacher. Uh, they're developing, developing goals around personal learning plans, uh, developing action steps around those uh, goals uh, and those plans, and they are beginning to monitor all this on their own. They're monitoring their own progress. Mm-hmm. Where in stage three is learner-driven, and this is where kids are really designing their own learning experiences, um, and that the teacher is really the facilitator or the guide, uh, where you know the learner will go and ask questions or whatever and need some information, and that's where the, that teacher role is. So the teacher is always involved in every stage, but but less so in that very last stage. Um, but in that very last stage, this is where kids are truly driven by learning. They take complete ownership to their learning, uh, and so that's like the ideal, absolutely environment. And uh, I've seen it, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, experience when you actually say that and actually on a daily basis. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm glad I kept pushing there because okay. you, you clearly, <laughs> clearly define the difference between the two and the, I think the stages are a good way to look at it. Right. Um, the piece that I think is important that you, um, you value is that you call them stages. Right, and it's not to say that every single teacher has to be stage three when they start, but right. at least that, that you're moving in a direction where you're you're looking at the next stage and saying, well, how can I provide more agency right. to the student right. um, that I am giving right now, right. and and therefore make it more personalized. Right, and you know, and so the thing is, uh, the reason why we really did those stages was really to help the educators understand that it is a process uh, to get from one stage to another, mm-hmm. and it isn't really something that's done overnight, and and teachers could certainly be in the stage one for a little while uh, because that's where they feel comfortable and then they actually have to set up their own action plans on how they're going to move forward because learning is also personalized for teachers. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that that's something that professional development for teachers has to look at a little more closely. Uh, And, you know, I love the sessions here at ISTE and I think that it's great to walk in and have that sort of inspiration but getting it into action is not something that happens without it being somewhat personalized so that the leap from watching someone and going wow to actually trying to implement it isn't somehow supported along the way. So um, what's a quick hack that you use to make something you regularly do easier? Well, I will tell you that, and I'm very well known for this by the way, is that I'm definitely a table queen. I see things in a certain order, a certain process. I've taught this to more people uh, to really organize their information, to be thinking in a certain way. And so I I am definitely the table queen. And uh, I've been using tables for, I don't know, longer than I can remember at this point. But uh, it's truly a way to help people uh, see um, some sort of order uh, in information. And uh, that's the way I learn. Uh, and uh, I learn best that way. So it's always a good idea to take a look at yourself and discover who, how you learn best, and then you actually figure these ways to uh, support your own learning. And so that's what I do for me. So what's an example of where you would use a table where others might not? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, let me think. 
Well, you know, we created these tables, by the way, those two charts that, that we had, because it organized information in such a way that it was understood uh, by most readers. Um, so I, I honestly can't think of one. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll say one for you, right? So okay. the, it's the diff, um, personalization, differentiation, and individualization chart, right. which um, I think is, is amazing. And just your titles where it's the learner, the teacher, the teacher, sort right, of, right, right. Uh, as the, the titles for it, where personalization always starts with the learner doing right. something, and the others start with the teacher. Right, that's so right. So that, just the, the very beginning of that chart, and moving down, is something that I think is um, makes sense and, and helps visually differentiate, <laughs> probably should use a better word since that's what the, the but differentiates the, the, the different columns and what makes something personalized as opposed to differentiated and, and individualized. The, um, the, I'll make sure I put that in the show notes with links to, to your, <laughs> sure. your thing, so that's fantastic. And um, so we, we talked a little bit about this, is this a topic we want to talk about? Where do you sit with uncertainty? Um, I'm... Uh, what area that one thing that I'm really concerned about is this this level and degree that we spend around standardized testing and um, and uh, I'm wondering if anyone has actually really stopped to think about uh, the time uh, the effort and what will really become of all those standardized tests and the collection of data and so I'm really uncertain that data has really Im really you know has really played an important part in really creating change because um, but it's not that really that true reflection of each learner and that's really what bothers me um, that we're measuring kids by numbers and not by relationships and conversations um, and so that soft data is far more important in the end because uh, let's face it I, I get to this age without having any data <laughs> collected <laughs> <on me. laughs> so and um, and not that we should know where kids have their uh, their uh, challenges but I think you can find that out a whole lot better in a conversation. So I don't put a lot of um, emphasis. I think we should really stop uh, the level of testing that we do. We need to get better at formative assessment. Mm -hmm. We need to get better at peer assessment and self-assessment. And I think we'd go so much further than I think the standardized testing. I have, I just don't, I'm not convinced yet that this is really the way to go. But um, yeah, I'm fairly certain it isn't the way to go. Um, where, I, where you bring up uncertainty for me is... What is, a, what is a university going to do um, in order to figure out who belongs in their program when, when you stop using that, you know, the letter grade and the percentage and, you know, the, the marks on specific tests, uh, it becomes a lot harder and it takes a lot more time and I wonder how they're going to go do that in an effective way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> we'll both sit in uncertainty with that one, so. Okay, I love this question and what's your magic? Oh, what's my magic? Um, um, my magic is um, my passion around what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and people always point that out. And uh, I could have a conversation in less than five minutes. And people know. And uh, my passion <coughs> appears on my face, my eyes. And, um, and that's really who I am. So I'll tell you a little story about how that all came to be. Yes. So... Um, I'm a mom of two children, uh, both had identification. Uh, oldest son was a severe dyslexic, found that and discovered that in seventh grade. Um, and so uh, this young man, my son, really didn't have a lot of good experiences in school. And in fact, he's really stopped being a learner, by the way, by second grade. 
because everyone was doing things for him and he didn't really have to gain any skills uh, at all uh, to get through school. So my passion is all about helping every child develop independent learning skills so they can um, have choices in life and in post-secondary. They can make really good choices and that we've supplied them with the skills for them to be successful in life. Really that is our goal in education, um, is that it's not about getting grades, it's really getting the skills that you need to be successful and to be able to work in a world that's going to change very rapidly going forward. We want kids to be able to think critically and really think deeply about things. We want them to be empathetic. We want them to um, have a love of learning. And how do we get there? Um, so my passion is, is getting every kid there. <laughs> so and and you're, you're, you've spoken to me before about this. Your son, I mean, got the diagnosis in. in uh, seventh, at seven years old. Seventh grade. Oh, seventh grade. Yes. And so what was school like before him as he struggled with this? Oh, yes. So um, the thing is, is uh, my son uh, really never learned how to read in public school uh, because they really didn't know how to teach him how to read. Um, and, and he basically had uh, couldn't really read any sort of textbook. Um, and I advocated fiercely for him. Um, he really felt, by the way, later on he told me at 22 years old that he felt really stupid every day of his life. And mm -hmm. after he made that statement to me, I was even more driven to do what I do today. Um, and uh, that we truly leave lots of children in a place where they can't fulfill their hopes and dreams, that they don't have choices in what they do going forward. And uh, we've left millions of children in that position. Um, and that's sort of um, somewhat criminal in the mm -hmm. educational world to do that. We should never ever think that we can't really support and help children develop the skills um, to get to where they want to go and believe in them. And um, just have to have one adult believe in you. And, uh, and that's the magic moment for children. And, and your son did have a happy ending now um, of, uh, as yeah, far but, as the so, studies? Yes, but, you know, he, yeah, because his mom pointed out the great skills that he had. Uh, <laughs> that was never recognized in public school, mm -hmm. ever. Because kids, once you have a labeled with a disability, is that uh, a lot of times teachers perceive this child in a certain way, and they see them disabled in every aspect of their learning, and never looking beyond uh, the challenges a child has, uh, and never looking at the strengths a kid has. Um, and that's what we need to start doing, really. We look at kids' strengths and, uh, and really hone those. And, um, and always treat every child as a learner, okay? Um, and uh, I've had the experience of working with children of all cognitive levels. And even children who couldn't even speak, uh, I saw her as a learner first, mm -hmm. okay? And when you see them, then magic happens uh, <laughs> before your eyes, believe me. Yeah. It's uh, the most incredible feeling, mm -hmm. too. Uh, and we need to do that every day, uh, and we need to help every child to realize themselves as a learner as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that should be our total goal in education yeah. uh, going forward. And but your son, you said you, as an adult found. Um, yeah. So his yeah. yeah so his uh, his skills were uh, mental number crunching. Uh, very early on, he was way above average, but never felt smart in math any day of his life because he couldn't write process down. Uh, he was uh, he had memory skills that were. Um, pretty outstanding um, and those memory skills by the way were really developed because he couldn't read he virtually memorized every word that he would ever use up through 
sixth grade, and then it sort of unraveled in seventh grade, but he virtually memorized every word that he ever came across. Hmm. Um, and the third thing is that he was a great communicator. He can communicate with anyone of any age and of any nationality, and just has some really outstanding communication skills. Uh, and he's a salesman, he's a car salesman, and very successful one. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So what do we need to talk about? What are the things that you think that, uh, you know, it would be a shame for us to have this conversation and not have, um, have shared? Well, I think one of the things that, um, about what we really need to do um, in education, and, and I think I sort of reflected on that in one of the answers here, is that the most important thing that we need to do going forward is to focus on the learner. Uh, first, at all times. Um, but that really means changing the culture, uh, not just in a classroom, but in a school. Uh, we really have to decide what we want for our learners, uh, what we want them to be able to do, uh, and, and then we need to have a plan on how we're going to get them there. So um, if we actually started with the learner uh, at all times, first of all, you make great decisions when you think about learners first. Uh, I was a K-12 technology director. And every decision I made um, was based upon the learner, because they were the end users of all the things that I was going to do. And, um, and even though everyone thinks that maybe the teacher should be the focus, uh, if we're going to create learner-centered environments, then the learner has to come first. Um, and there's a lot of great examples in, in the world cultures where uh, things are child-centered versus teacher-centered. Could you give me an example of one? Well, well Finland, of course, is a child-centered group. Yeah. And um, they decided that, I guess, 30-odd years ago when they saw a lot of failure among their high school uh, kids. And then they completely turned that around. Uh, and they basically focused uh, on the child. Uh, and I'm always loved the idea that kids didn't enter public school until seven years old. And mm -hmm. uh, that there was a lot of um, grooming of parents and supporting parents in that preschool level uh, and giving kids an opportunity to have play um, and experience play on a regular basis and and not so much emphasizing on the test uh, but this the teachers are highly skilled I understand in formative assessment in Finland in, uh, in creating that really child-centered environment so that's why they've been successful there so if you were right now an administrator uh, a principal or even a, a, a teacher leader in a school what would you be focusing on to, to move towards more more personalized learning? Well, one of the first pieces of advice is that I think that you need to bring um, all stakeholders together. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to have a clear vision and uh, first, and then I think you need to work on a set of beliefs uh, on what you want to do in your school with your learners. Uh, that sometimes could take anywhere up to a year to bring every, all the stakeholders together and to come to an agreement on that. And you really can't move forward until you actually do those that sort of work. And um, and just, you know, don't absolutely don't invest all your money in technology first. Invest this all this time, by the yeah. way, in getting that um, together um, before you actually move forward and make decisions about how you're going to have make that happen. And uh, But uh, get the teachers, of course, uh, to understand what this all means because I think that a lot of teachers are sort of frightened by the word personalized learning that they're 
going to have to personalize the learning for every child in the classroom. And um, there really needs to be a lot of clarification with teachers. You need to work on that before you actually do any sort of implementation planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, it's, it's about a shift in roles. Because if you're the teacher in the front of the room, Right. And, and things are personalized, that's really difficult to do. Right. But if you're the mentor and facilitator of the learning that's happening, then it becomes a lot more flexible and a lot more opportunity. Yeah. So I just want to talk just from personal experience. That yes. I've, I, I've been able, I was able to do that as a middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. I was a computer teacher, but um, I virtually uh, let the kids go, and, um, and they will wow you every time. Um, just be let them always know that you're a learner too, um, and that they could certainly teach you something. And, uh, and I have to tell you, they taught me a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think about that, those moments in the classroom where they were just totally engaged. And I believe way long, long time ago, back in the mid '80s, um, that kids could construct their own learning. Those the philosophy and theory by Seymour Papert many years ago. And I realized all that very quickly, shortly after I did all that yeah. coursework and entered the classroom that you could actually create those environments pretty easily. And uh, there's nothing like it, by the way. Um, once you do it, you never go back. <laughs> never go back. So, uh, But it was actually my natural way of teaching because no one was calling it personalized learning, but I always thought that kids need to own and direct their own learning, and they did. And when you give them that opportunity, they do it uh, with a little facilitation. Um, so, you know, a lot of guides are really good, you know, project designs or something, but when, then you have to let go um, and not be afraid and take that little baby step to make that happen. And um, you'll be amazed what kids can do, you know. Just create an environment of real, uh, real respect for each other, um, and that's really the key to getting kids. And if kids don't abide by that, then there's always alternatives, you know, for for kids that don't, but all kids come around because there's a lot of peer pressure as that time goes on right, in the classroom. That's true. And, and, and peer pressure in a positive way, I think, oh, yeah. is oh, yes, the, the piece sure. that you're talking about. For sure. um, you talked, uh, when we chatted, you talked about having a teacher and professor that actually did that for you as well. Yes. So I have to tell you the stories that um, I've been... Um, um, a fan of logo for many many years in fact today I was looking at um, this uh, program called Mindstorm well Mindstorm is the title by the way of Seymour Papert's book and uh, and I was a real logo user and I truly believe it's a great way to get kids to not understand just about you know algorithms and problem-solving but it really developed an incredible work ethic among kids uh, when they're able to program and design their own animations uh, so I was lucky enough to have a Ricky Carter um, way back in 1986, uh, 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, he inspired me around Logo, and he happened to be a protege of Seymour Papert. But um, I, that was the most inspirational professor I ever had. I, went, I left uh, his class one night, and I virtually could not sleep because of all the things that he said. And I was just pondering all night long about putting all those pieces together. Um, see, you know, one of the things that people don't know a lot about me is that I'm a puzzle maker, I'm a dot connector, um, and I, I truly always see the big picture. And um, my goal is to help connect the dots so that the puzzle comes together, you know, yeah. in that big picture. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's a message you'd like to share with the whole world? 
oh, a message they want to share with the whole world. Um, um, commit to learners. Um, that's first and foremost. That's that's the message. That's a poster uh, right there. Yeah, yeah, commit to learners. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you'll have an amazing life, <laughs> by the way, when you do that. Yeah. Right. That's so, awesome. But I would love to tell you how I happened to to move in this particular direction. I, mm-hmm. I want to say to you is that I I haven't really worked a day in the last 15 years <laughs> because um, one of the important things is to find let kids find their passions because um, you know it took me a long time um, to find mine and um, when you do and you work at that every day you never work a minute mm-hmm. ever again. So um, my life changed in uh, 2001. Just tell you the story. And, uh, I didn't have a job. I left a director's job, and uh, of technology, and and I really wanted to do something else that was going to impact more. But after 9/11, I really felt that there was a reason I was here on this earth, and that I had to really find that. And so, a lot of times people will ask me, "How did you?" make that change and I and here's just two things I'd sort of like to leave everybody with is uh, two questions that you should answer every person should answer mm-hmm. is um, why are you here on this earth and how do you plan to make a difference mm-hmm. answer those two questions and you'll have a life of purpose that's wonderful mm-hmm. I, and yeah and, and even if you just think of it on a, on a small scale and think of what you what you do on your day to day and and does that move towards sort of the, your, your bigger missions and your bigger goals? Oh, yes. I, I always have the big picture in mind all the time. Yeah. I'm always moving in that direction. Uh, my, my, my personal goal is to impact a million children in my lifetime, and I think I'm partway there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that uh, I will be doing this work to the day I die mm-hmm. because it energizes me. And when you live a life with purpose, you are healthy mentally and physically and and um, you know where you're going every day. Can you imagine getting yeah. on the floor every day and know where you're, where you're going and why you're here? Yeah. And you should know why you're here and seek that mm-hmm. out. So this, this question might not be one that you can answer, but if you can think of yourself right now and the things that you do, and not, you know, there, there are a lot of really positive things, but sometimes you get stuck in things. If you were to move into the future 10 years and look back at yourself right now, would you give your, what, what advice would you give their current you? Um, oh, take more time out to have fun. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, there you know, you go. and spend time with people that you love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I should say that's exactly the kind of reason why I'm doing these interviews is because I realize that I'm connected to so many wonderful people and I never get to sit and chat with them. And so I just wanted to spend some time and, and see if we could uh, uh, enrich each other a little bit. Okay, so I just have um, one more thing that I want to really end with, and that is, could you share a favorite letter or, or you know, or a favorite story or a favorite thing that a student told you? Oh, a favorite letter. I, I, I've actually never re- have received a letter, but some of the things when I was in these learner-centered environment where I created back in the 80s, um, was would always seem that kids would come up and say to me, uh, was how much they loved working so hard uh, and and that they found that they worked harder in my class than any other class 
uh, I allow them to be more creative and allow for them to uh, to be who they wanted to be uh, in the classroom. And those those there was no letter. Those were the conversations that uh, kids 13 and 14 years old would have with me. And, and they said they just loved working hard and, and, and accomplishing so much. And that whole idea of work ethic uh, and we can instill in children is so important. And time after time, kids would do this. And one of the wonderful things happened is that I had one uh, uh, young man in my class in eighth grade, and he virtually was failing in all of his other classes. And uh, he said, oh boy, I couldn't wait to come to your class. And I said, really? And so he invested so much time and well, about a couple of weeks later, about midway through the semester, the science teacher comes up to me and she says, I don't know what you're doing upstairs, but so-and-so, I can't remember his name right now, uh, said he is like in, on a totally different path than he has been all year long. I don't know what you're doing, but something is happening upstairs that's, in your classroom. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. that's so, awesome. boy, when you can change a children's course, you know, to a positive in a positive direction, um, those are the stories that I love to share because uh, those happen a lot for me. And, yeah. um, and and you know what? I think they're happening a lot for other children because of the influence you've had on on teachers. So your goal is to impact a million kids. Kids, but I, I think I think I'm going to challenge you to impact a million teachers because that'll be okay. that'll be even <laughs> Thanks, more hey. kids and that, oh, yeah. that you impact because oh, I know sure. I know just from being around you how many people come up and how much lives you've influenced around that we never knew that that you didn't know and, right. and they come and they say you, you know I love your work and you don't even know who their name is right right and so um, you're doing it for for teachers as well as oh as, yes for uh, sure because so. oh by the way because they're all learners too yes and so thank you for everything you've done thanks I, I'm looking forward to seeing your new book and and uh, um, it's just an honor to have a chat with you like this thank you thank you so much David bye bye.